0: Good morning and welcome to uh, another opportunity that we have that we can study God's Word. We appreciate you being with us this morning. We are um, might be running a little bit later. We just had a few things <laughs> had to finish up right quick. but uh, we are glad you are with us. We're going to be talking today in uh, the book of Proverbs. And uh, we're going to be actually beginning a series on Proverbs, I believe, for the next few Sundays. And so uh, this verse, this chapter today will lead us into a better understanding of what Proverbs is and and um, what it can do for us as individual Christians. Before we get started, we we'll want to have a word of prayer, and then we'll just dig in. You ready? Lord, we thank you for this opportunity we have that we can come, we can gather among your people we can study your word. We thank you, Lord, so much for what your truth teaches us. Help us, Lord, to understand that knowing you is the beginning of all knowledge and all wisdom. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to gain wisdom and knowledge because of the reading and teaching and understanding of your word today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. We are, uh, again, very pleased that you're with us today. If you would, get your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 1, Proverbs chapter 1, and I'm actually going to turn in my Bible here also to Proverbs chapter 1, I have it written on the screen, but I like having my sword open in case I need to jump to something else or take a look at something else, so Proverbs chapter 1. You know, there's a, um, many of you own a book uh, by a guy by the name of, Carol Wilmington. He was from Liberty University. I'm not sure if he's still alive, but he wrote a uh, commentary that a lot of us have used. Um, the um, he He's a great student of the Word, and he's actually spoken several times, I believe, down at Carolina Bible Institute in Pine Level, uh, where I graduated from a couple of times. But The, uh, let's look at the the information he provided was, he he gave a little overview of the book of Proverbs, and he said the book of Proverbs is like medicine. You cannot live on medicine alone, but a few of us go through life, uh, but few of us go through life without some medicine now and then. (laughs) Uh, At least we take a vitamin. Likewise, spiritual diets of Proverbs alone would be most unbalanced. But how sick a person might be that didn't occasionally ingest some of these potions and antidotes for the sake of his mental, spiritual, and even financial well being. The book of Proverbs is a kind of biblical fare you should indulge in often, but not in large doses. The stuff of Proverbs has already been distilled so that its advice comes to us in a highly concentrated form. These sage tidbits have been boiled down, trimmed, honed, polished, and sharpened to where a little goes a long way." That was from Wilmington. That was from Harold Wilmington. What a great understanding of the book of Proverbs. You know, people say I read a proverb a day. You will not sit and read the entire book of Proverbs. It's kind of like to me, it's concentrate. You know, a little bit goes a long way. I remember many years ago um the uh I had some uh, rice and tomatoes fixed, and uh the the person fixing the rice uh didn't realize that they expand. And so one pot... <laughs> of rice, uh, rice and tomato, became three giant pots of, of rice and tomatoes, and because it was in concentrate, they were, they, they expand. Well, Proverbs is kind of got that. take a little bit at a time, and it expands with you as you read, understand, and apply it. talk a little bit about some historical backgrounds on the book of Proverbs. Uh, there's actually several authors to the book of Proverbs. Of course, the most noted one being Solomon. He wrote most of the books. Um, He was the, uh, um, he identified himself, of course, in the beginning of the book, that this was the book, the Proverbs of Solomon. And we'll see that today. Solomon was uniquely qualified to serve as the principal author because as you remember, uh, in 1 Kings, Solomon was given a choice of whatever he wanted, God would give it to him. And his request was that he would have the Knowledge and wisdom to lead his people well. And so that's the reason why Solomon has the wisdom. God gave him the wisdom to do that. Proverbs has three sections, and Solomon's name appears at the beginning of each of those sections. One beginning in verse 1, one being on chapter 1, chapter 10, chapter 25. Proverbs 22. 17 through 24 include a short section of described as uh, words of the wise in Proverbs 22:17. These, by the way, were kind of worldly wisdoms that had been gathered. You know, the world has some wise sayings, and there's nothing wrong with utilizing wise sayings. Um, so, therefore, Solomon included some of these worldwide wide sayings. You know, some things that we think are biblical, they're not biblical, <laughs> but they're good sayings. And so some of it, you know, as the Bible says, well, Bible didn't ever say that, but it was still the words of the wise. Well, Solomon includes some of those in Proverbs 22, 17 through 24, 34. So he made sure the book of wisdom included wise sayings outside of the word of God. But they were still wise sayings, and God gave that wisdom. In chapter 30 was written by a guy named Agur, and in chapter 31, written by Lemuel. No one knows who these men were. Um, No one knows who they are today, even. But obviously, they were included during the writing or the composition of that when Hezekiah finished putting them all together. Most proverbs were completed before the death of Solomon in 931 B.C. And we know the book stayed in the southern kingdom because David and Solomon's line continued in Saul and the in Judah, versus the northern kingdom went with with a different had a different king. So we know that, and we know that the book was compiled by Hezekiah uh, because he had his men work on it. We know that from Proverbs twenty five through twenty nine, and the book must have been in its final form around 686 before the end of Hezekiah's reign. So we believe the book would be written in before 936 BC and then finally finalized somewhere around 686 BC. Let's look at the theme a little bit. The theme Proverbs is a simple compilation of short instructions. It's, It's just a compilation of short instructions to assist people to live by. Its primary purpose was to instruct people in the path of wisdom. The theme is explicitly stated, as we'll see today in Proverbs 1.7. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. What a great way to begin anything. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Solomon hoped that his readers would attain practical righteousness in all things, that we would do by living our lives under the authority and the direction of God. A central theme of the book emphasized listening to others so that we might learn from them. So if you combine that knowledge of those who've gone before us, such as your parents and your elders, to unique circumstances in our lives, you know what I mean? We learn from others. I always heard it said this way, that that, you know, the older I get, the smarter my parents seem to be. I think I hope that's true of my daughter. As I get, as she gets older, I hope I get smarter because sometimes I'm not very smart to her. Um, wisdom involves developing a measure of humility. Humility first to God, and then before others. Now, many of our modern day sayings have roots in the Book of Proverbs. Some of these paraphrased proverbs are, uh, "A bad penny always turns up." A bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. A fool's tongue is always long enough to cut his throat. A word once uttered is beyond the reach of four galloping horses. As you sow, so shall you reap. Victory has many fathers. Bite your tongue, blow one's horn, don't throw all of these paraphrased versions um of of things. The list goes on and on, by the way. I'm not gonna spend the time reading it all. But the point is there's lots and lots of paraphrased um proverbs that are used today um that that came directly from paraphrasing proverbs. Finally in this book, finally in his book, Portraits and Proverbs, a guy named Chester McCauley suggests that the following character incites in Proverbs. There's, there's that, that. As you look at proverbs, there's certain character insights into who they are or or what they think, and these include uh, characters such as the sluggard, the ideal woman, a true friend, the wise counsel or counselor, the fool, the wise handler of money, the naive, the ideal son, the scoffer, the man of quick temper, and the man of strife. These are all characters that are defined in the in the uh, in the book of Proverbs. So, having all that introduction, let's just jump in now into Proverbs chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. Verse 1 says, the proverb of Solomon, the son of David, king of David. So, what is a proverb? It says the proverb, so what is a proverb? Uh, Okay, it's defined as a pithy sentence, concisely expressing some well-established truth, susceptible of uh, various illustrations and applications. In other words, it's a little pithy sentence. You know, it's something, a proverb is something intended to be uh, really bare bones, straight to the point. That establishes some well-established truth. that states the truth that we all know. The Latin word for proverb literally means a word, speech, or Discourse. Uh, that is one expression for many. This is also so the, the word proverb could mean a word, a speech, or a discourse. Hebrew word for proverb is martial. Well, martial means in Hebrew, comparison. So if we use this Hebrew word, it would have said that this is a this is a comparison uh, done by Solomon, the son of David. And that kind of makes sense because, as we know, the idea of proverbs a lot of time associates with the concept of comparison. Right? Uh, the form or matter of the proverb involves the idea of comparisons, comparing things. Right? Sometimes the proverb is designed to omit one part of it uh, because it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a riddle or a dark saying. We know this in Proverbs 30, uh, Proverbs 1, Proverbs 49. We see all these things that are done. That, that there were, sometimes it was written as a parable. The Greek translators of the Bible used the word parabola or parable for the proverb, because, and, and think about this, the Gospel writers used this Greek word parabola, which could have been used as parable, for the Lord's discourses. So when the Lord presented parables, they were saying proverbs. They said the proverbs of the Lord instead of the parable of the Lord. It could have been interchanged. And so there's a lot of the same characteristics because Jesus, when he did his parables, uh, he also seemed to involve in the idea of comparison, though not always as being the purpose, but he did do that. It appears then that the uh, proverbial and the parabolic styles of writing, are originally and essentially the same so the style of writing proverbs and the size of the style of writing parables were pretty much the same a proverb is a concentrated parable and a parable is an extension of the proverb into a full illustration so we view a parable as the full-blown proverb so, you know, Proverbs, a statement or bright, you know, concentrated, and then the parable is kind of exploding out that proverb. You could think of it that way. The proverb, thus, is a moral or theme of a parable, right? The proverb would be a theme of a parable. So, you could read a proverb and then come up with a story that illustrates that. That story becomes a parable of that proverb, to say. Now, As we note again, in verse 1, that the writer for this is clearly seen as being Solomon. He identifies himself. He says he's the son of David. Well, this makes him unique, the son of David, because he's beloved of God, right? He has a special relationship. He's the son of the beloved of God. He's also the king of Israel. That means he has power. He's in a special position to write about this wisdom. Uh, As discussed earlier, Solomon was declared by God as the man who had more wisdom than any man to date. You know, the question is often asked because Solomon had a thousand wives and we see all the things that he did and all the promises. This doesn't appear to be wise. Doing those things does not appear to be wise at all. Yet, he had more wisdom than anyone so is there, a difference, is there a difference between being wise and having wisdom? I don't want to go off on this tangent too long, but I thought it's important as we look at Solomon, look at his words, to understand a little bit about this. You know, we know in 1 Kings 3.12, he said, Behold, I have done according to thy words. This is God speaking to Solomon. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there is none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. So Solomon was clearly the wisest man to ever live. Now, I'm assuming that we don't count Jesus in that because Jesus was clearly wiser than Solomon. But as far as humans that didn't have divinity uh, to them, uh, Solomon was by far the wisest man. We know in 1 Kings 5.12, and the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he had promised. So wisdom is knowledge of what is wise. You understand that? Now, let me say that again. Having wisdom is knowledge of what is wise. Being wise is action to do that which is learned from wisdom. So, can you have wisdom and not be wise? You certainly can. Um, The Bible says in 1 Samuel 18, 14, And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. We see David was wise in his actions. Now, it says Solomon was full of wisdom, but at the end of his life, he did not do that which was wise. Uh, Solomon followed the gods of his pagan wife and forsook the Lord. He told him, and God told him that he would strip him of his kingdom from him and give it ten tribes to the other because Solomon did not walk in the ways of his father. We know that. So we know because of Solomon's sin, because of Solomon's foolishness and following other gods, because anyone that doesn't believe in the God that we know to be real are fools. So we know Solomon, even though he had the most wisdom, was foolish. Uh, We also see that those evil altars that Solomon built to these false gods were not destroyed until King Godly King Josiah tore them down hundreds of years later. And for 2 Kings 23, 13, he says, And the high places that were before Jerusalem, which were on the right hand of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon the king of Israel had builded for Azeroth, the, ab- the abomination of the Zidonites, and for Chishmash, the admonition of the abomination of the Moabites, and for Malchah, the abomination of the children of Ammon, did the king defile. And he break in pieces the images and cut down the groves and filled their places with bones of men. See, Josiah had to tear down these idols, these temples, these altars that, that Solomon had put in place for, for three false gods for his wives. And Solomon did not destroy them. That way, I don't know. Now, the question is always asked. People say, you know, is Solomon in heaven or hell? Well, some people believe because of the writing of, uh, you know, the the Lamentations. not Lamentations. um, The, um, because of the writings of um, Ecclesiastes. That's what I was looking for. Ecclesiastes that we assume that this is Solomon repenting of his sins. I don't know if that's true or not, because Solomon, if he was king, he had the power to destroy these idols, and he did not. Um, So I don't know whether Solomon's in heaven or hell, but I do know that a man that had more wisdom than anyone ever before sure did not live wisely like his father David did. Now, that being said, the writings of Solomon were still were written during the time that he communed with God and was wise in his actions. Therefore, the writings of Solomon in Scripture are just that. They are the writings of God. They are full of wisdom. Again, a preacher can stand up on Sunday morning and preach the gospel, yet he himself not be perfect. Of course. Um, Too bad in the end, Solomon did not heed wisdom, he proclaimed. Now, let's look at uh, verse 2. To know wisdom and instruction. The purpose of this book of Proverbs is simple. To know wisdom is and how to perform given that knowledge. That's the purpose of the book. To know what wisdom is and how to perform given the knowledge. So that's the purpose of the book of Proverbs. So as we read through Proverbs, we understand that. Um, We have shown in the life of Solomon himself, it is one thing to know wisdom and another on how to use it. When he used the word instruction, It means, part of the meaning of instruction is that wisdom corrects us. us. Wisdom, if we understand the truth, that truth can pierce our hearts and help us to be corrected. It's a form of instruction. You know, if we don't hear the truth, then how do we understand the truth? If we shut our ears and go, la, 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 like your children do because they don't want to hear the truth, then it can't change us. We know experiences, there are things we have done in the past that we would never have done again. How many of us can say that? Because we've gained wisdom. Now we can act wisely. Second part of verse 2 says, to perceive the words of understanding. Perceive means eyeing it, seeing it for what it is. Real understanding, to perceive it, means to I see it, I see you, I perceive you, I understand it. Uh, understanding then the words that rely to the words that enable one to discern good from evil. You know, I can hear something, and I'll, some sometimes my wife's telling me stuff, and I hear it, and then later I'll ask her a question about it. She said, "Weren't you listening to me?" Well, I heard it, but I didn't understand it. I didn't spend the knowledge of time to enable myself to discern what she was saying. So even though I may have heard it, I didn't understand it. You saying the Proverbs, the purpose of Proverbs, though, we said is to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding. And then, verse three, to receive the instructions of wisdom, justice, judgment, and iniquity. The word instruction repeated here simply for emphasis. Because instruction, understanding it is the key. Because you can read all you want to, you can do anything you want to do, but unless you read it, unless you understand it, unless you perceive it, unless you see it, I got it, then it really doesn't do you any good. So it was repeated here to receive the instruction, the knowledge, the hearing, the understanding of wisdom. This word wisdom is used here is different than that in the first verse because this wisdom is talking about discrete counsel. You know, wisdom can act as a discipline for encouraging dis discretion, you know, to receive the instruction of wisdom, to receive the instruction of discretion. You know, uh, when someone tells us stuff or things that we shouldn't, there's some things you just shouldn't say. There's some things you just shouldn't do. You might be able to do it, but you really shouldn't do it. Uh, I could go down a list of things that I would talk about that I would think of, but I'm not going to do that today. Uh, Justice, he says, Translates elsewhere as righteousness. So to receive the instructions of we could say the of discretion of righteousness, judgment is the idea of applying good reasoning to a situation that confronts one, you know, the ability to understand the, the instruction of, of the discretion of what's right, of reasoning. You know, the idea that confronts one daily. How do I make good judgments every day? Um, equity translates elsewhere as uprightly, treating others fairly in all attributes of one upright and all relationship with God. man. So he says here that the purpose is to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. These are the reasons why he wrote, he wrote it to give subtility. That means prudent, acting with or showing care and thought for the future. So the purpose of it is also to help you think about the future because what good does it do to think about the past? You know, oftentimes I hear people say, well, this happened, this happened, this happened. We try to look for blame for people because it makes us feel better to blame somebody else for something. Maybe there are, maybe it is somebody else's reason why it happened. And it's important to go through the process of understanding what happened so that we don't repeat it. That's why it's important to understand history so that we don't repeat it. Because if you don't understand history, you certainly will repeat it. We've seen that happen over and over again. But, but the, the purpose here is that we, that we think about the future, that we take these things that we've learned. Proverbs can show us, make us think about our past and things that we know and the knowledge that we've been taught and then be able to apply it to our future. He says it can help us apply it to the simple. One easily look, led to good or evil? It can lead us to something that's simple. You know, uh, there was a famous, uh, famous uh, uh, preacher, uh, jo, uh, Bob Jones Sr. Um, Bob Jones Sr. said a simple phrase. I always remember it. I always try to remember saying it. He said this. He said, do right. Even if the stars fall, do right. That's simple, but it is very profound. Simply do right. So the Proverbs are going to be simple statements that we can just follow. We need to understand them to help us. They help us understand what we need to do for the future. Um, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. It can, it can refer to a male child, a young adult, one who's inexperienced when he says the young man. It's not just males, but it's anybody that's inexperienced. But to them, this book of Proverbs is going to provide knowledge. Knowledge, that means understanding that you can only come with experiences. So if you, you know, the deal is if you, if you learn, if I can prevent someone from doing something wrong, I'm going to tell them. So if I go through, if I'm doing something at work and I find a mistake that I made because I didn't know how to do something, I'm going to try my best to tell other people so that they don't fall in that same loop. I'm not going to let them learn on their own. Well, it's best learning on that. No, I don't think it's the right thing to do. If you have a failure, if you are involved in things that's wrong, that's why we share our burdens with other people. That's why we share our sins with other people, not because we're bragging about them. Please don't let your sin be a bragging. I know people who sound like they're bragging about all these things, about sin. And that's not the purpose. But to say it with a contrite heart, that you're hurt, that you're ashamed of it, but you want to share it with them so that they don't fall down that road, that they can prevent that. That's what the book of Proverbs was for, was to help them, help young men, help inexperienced people know the truth. Um, Illustration, you know, when I was 16, I'm the same today as I was when I was 16 years old. I mean, I am. My body's changed, you know. Uh, I got gray hairs and all. But as far as me as an individual, I have the same feelings, the same person. I, I am who I am. I, you know what I'm talking about. Um, now note, I was saved when I was 10 years old, so therefore the Holy Spirit was in, in me most all my life. Uh, now that doesn't mean I didn't mess up and that he didn't have to chasten me, or still does, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is I'm the same person. I have the same feelings, the same thoughts. Now, God has helped me through my thoughts. I said again, I was saved at 10 years old, so I don't really have... Some of those things that others might have had because the Holy Spirit has helped me. That's why it's important to get children saved as early as possible so the Holy Spirit can come into their lives and make a difference in them so they don't have the same temptations and, and other, as other people have. If they do have those temptations, they have the help of the Holy Spirit to keep them from sinning. That doesn't mean we don't fail, but it means we have an advocate with the Father. Now, the difference is I have a doctorate in education today. I know lots of things. You know, people, a lot of times I hear people tell me, you know, you're so smart and intelligent, which I say, no, not really. I've had a lot of opportunities to learn things that give me knowledge, gives me knowledge. Other than that, I'm the same as I was when I was 16. I've always told my daughter and my wife, they're much more intelligent than I am. They have the ability to learn faster and more than I do. I just have taken the time to learn it. You know, you can be very intelligent and not, not smart. Smart is using the knowledge you have. Uh, Solomon tells us the purpose of Proverbs is to provide that knowledge that will lead the young person in doing what is right. He used the word discretion and that literally means device. You know, your devices that you use. Now devices can be used for good or for bad. You know, like your cell phone. Your cell phone can be used good or bad. The internet can be used for good or bad. You know, technology. Technology is good or bad it's how you use the technology so discretion means how you use something discretion means how you treat people you have it's your discretion you can choose these proverbs will help you understand how to choose the right path godly wisdom will help a young person navigate a sin infested world by learning to choose what is right and um, accept in in God's sight. So verse seven, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord refers to our reviewing him with the respect he deserves. You know, uh, until you understand God, you can't understand anything. It means living our lives in the light of what we know of him, holding him in the highest uh, regard and depending on him for humble trust. Only then, Proverbs teaches, will we discover knowledge and wisdom. He said, it's the beginning. You cannot know anything until you know not God. I had a friend of mine at Data General in the 1980s who was an atheist. He was very intelligent. He read the Bible all the time, and he could challenge people, so he could just challenge people who believed. That's why he read it. He would love to challenge you. Well, one week, someone in, from the from that work there invited him to go to Fellowship Baptist Church in Clayton, uh, and he decided he would go so that the next day he could complain. He could, he could show how the preacher were wrong and all this stuff. And while he was there, the Holy Spirit convicted of his sins, and he got saved. And he was—he got real saved. I mean, you know, he got real born-again saved, new creature saved. Um, he began to read his Bible just like before, but now he would tell you that he could understand what he was reading. He could not until he was saved. See, he said, it's amazing. He read the Scripture. He didn't know what he read. He had to go back and read everything over again with the Holy Spirit because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Then he says the fool despised wisdom and destruction in verse 7b, the fool. This the, He says, but the fool. So this shows a choice. See, we have a choice to be wise or to be fools. We have a choice. That's what Proverbs says. A choice to be wise or a choice to be fools. One choice is to follow God and be wise. And the other is to reject him and be a fool. The fool can be characterized as the stupid, indifferent to God character and government. Hence the wicked. Stupidity. I always tell my kids in school when I taught school, stupidity is knowing to do right but choosing not to do it. Right? Stupidity. Knowing to do right but choosing not to do it. You can fix stupid because stupidity is knowing to do right. So you can change from doing stupid things to doing right things. He says, despise wisdom and instruction. The fool does not just dislike wisdom but despises it. Um. Despise means feeling a contempt or deep repugnancy towards it. Verse 8, my son, hear the instructions of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother. This verse is using a familiar relationship. It illustrates the meanings. My son is a young son who is one who is to be under subjection or to be honored leader. It's a father-mother type of situation. My son. So he's trying to, you know, he's giving them fatherly advice. Hear the instructions of thy father. Look at the pathways your father, righteous father, has walked in front of you. We know at this point in time that that Solomon had walked in the right paths. So you're saying, look what I've done. Follow my, find someone who's a spiritual father for you. Unfortunately, it may not be your father, your earthly father. They may not be Christians. They may not be in the right path, but you need a father. Find someone who you can follow and follow them. Forsake not the law of thy mother. The law here refers to the way you treat others, treating fairly, like a good mother would do for her children, treating them all the same with love. That's what Proverbs says. Verse 10, My son, if a sinner entice thee, consent thou not. Peer pressure is always waiting around the corner, isn't it? The word enticed only means open the way. The word consent, not sin is consenting or yielding to temptation, not in being tempted. See, being tempted to sin is not sin, it's giving into it. Illustration, a number of years ago, when I was younger, and I'm not sure if this story is exactly correct, I'm just telling you from my mind of an 11-, 12-year-old boy at the time. But when I was younger, my older brother had a friend named James Bond. Really, his name was James. They called him Jimmy. (laughs) He was a troublemaker, man. He, He got in trouble no matter what he did. He always got in trouble. So he was not really good at doing trouble to start with because he kept getting in it one night jimmy came over and stayed with uh, stayed with my 14 or 15 year old brother at the time you know that a lot of time back then we lived in a small town we live in town of Canapolis. it was a great town to grow up in and he stayed with him and you know they would just spend the night different people's houses you you've done that you know what i'm talking about and uh they decided during the night that uh, james talked or jimmy talked him into talk them into leaving to kind of walk into town in, in, in clay Canapolis. well that wasn't really because back then again, Kenapolis was a pretty safe town. Back then, the age we don't live in the same age today. There's no way we don't children walking the streets at nighttime. But anyway, um, anyway, they were walking down the railroad tracks near our house and crossed over a bridge. And as the story as the story goes, and I want that I'm just what I my understanding was that Jimmy decided to throw some rocks off the overpass at passing cars, and he hit one. Well, a bunch of young men in the car got out, ran down my brother. He run fast, uh, Jimmy could run faster than my brother. <laughs> so they ran down my brother, and they held him until the cops came. And the police took my brother back home. And when the police got to my house, Jimmy had run back to our house, was laying in the front yard, breathing heavy because he just run all the way back to the house. And so he didn't really escape the problem anyway. And uh, it wasn't that big a deal, you know, but still it was something that happened because he consented with this other guy. My brother finally stopped hanging around with him because Jimmy always got in trouble no matter what he did. See, the Bible says here, If sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Um, it would have been a great verse for my brother to have learned before meeting a Jimmy, um, just to say that. Well, verse 28, verse, first part 20 says, Wisdom cryeth out without. Wisdom is now the person crying out. Wisdom wants to be heard. This is a pleading phrase, not a passive phrase. Wisdom wants to be heard. Knowledge of this, this wisdom wants us to do it. Verse 20b and 21 says, she uttereth her voice in the street, she crieth in the chief places of concourse, in the opening of the gates, in the city, she uttereth her words, saying, so where is wisdom to be found? It's found in the streets, uh, out in the open, where everyone can hear her. Wisdom's not hidden. Wisdom's readily available. Well, if I knew, well, you can know. You can know the truth. The cheap places to conquer, it's in the places you go to the market to purchase your foods and your services. When you do things, oftentimes we buy things we know better than that. I bought some things, I'm thinking, you know what, I knew better than that. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have clicked on this link. I knew that was not the right thing to do. Somebody hacked me because I clicked on the wrong link on my computer. I knew better, but I did it anyway. Wisdom. The opening of gates where business is conducted, where key decisions are made in the town. Wisdom. That's where it can be found. In the city, she utters her words. She's calling as many people as possible to follow her ways and rejecting the foolish ways. Wisdom is calling us. The Proverbs will call us to do right, to understand, to be wise. Verse 22, how long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity, and the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge? How long will you keep ignoring wisdom is what it's asking? Who ignores them? Simple ones. Those who choose to remain ignorant. See, you have to choose to remain ignorant. I always tell that for kids in school. You know, kids kids that don't want to learn, they choose not to learn. Uh, Most teachers are great teachers who are teaching materials, and students choose not to learn. So parents, if your kids are failing their class, nine times out of ten, it ain't the teacher. Just letting you know. It ain't the teacher. Uh, there are bad teachers along the way, but most of them are not. They work years to to sharpen their skills. And they learn how to handle different kids and different learning styles. I'm a teacher. I know how it is. I know how much work they have to do constantly to continue to do what they need to do for your children. So please, if your students are failing, it's probably because they choose to fail. Um. Scorners, those that are not ignorant but are criticized wisdom. Those are scorners, those that are not ignorant, they simply choose. They know the truth, but they did choose not to do it. And then there's the fools. We know in Psalms 14:1, the fool has said in his heart, "There is no God. Only those who choose to be fools would ignore or criticize wisdom. Finally, the last couple of verses, verse 32, "For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools, shall destroy them. The consequences for rejecting wisdom is a decision that results in a significant impact on one's life, right? If you choose to ignore wisdom, you're going to have problems, folks. Turning away from wisdom is fatal. It says slay and destroy shows the violence that always results from those who reject wisdom. Prosperity of fools shall destroy them. These foolish people will feel safe until they're suddenly destroyed and never saw it coming because they lacked wisdom. And verse 33, "For whoso hearken unto me shall dwell safely and shall be, uh, and shall be quiet from fear of evil. The consequence of accepting and seeking after wisdom, safety comes because the wisdom, the wise person, has chosen to ignore the foolish and sinful voices that offer invitations to pursue their path of wrongdoing. See, safety comes because a wise person chooses to ignore foolish and sinful voices. The wise do not have to fear the harm that often comes to those that live by the sinner's code. With the fear of the Lord and obtaining of wisdom, the godly person can overcome this evil world for good. Now, Why did Solomon lose his way? He did not take his own advice, did he? Instead, he ignored the wisdom he knew would be true. We need to follow what Paul stated in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. The book of Proverbs is going to show us about wisdom. But unless we choose to follow it, we're just like the fools. That we hear, seeing the end of this verse. Let's pray, Lord. I thank you so much. This opportunity we have, we come to your your in your presence today while we're looking in your Word. We pray, Lord, you'd help us to be able to understand the wisdom. Help us, Lord, to use these proverbs that we're reading and understanding, that we might be able to be smarter, more knowledgeable that we might not be acting like a fool, that we can defend ourselves against the, those that would, would deceive us, those that would lead us into sin, that we would know the right path to take. Lord, help us then when we know that knowledge to act wisely. We thank you, Lord, for what you do for us. We thank you, Lord, for the ability to give us the wisdom from your words. Help us, Lord, to apply it in our lives. it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your time and your attention. I certainly hope you have a great day and I look forward to seeing you in the future.